We're going to start a series this morning on Ephesians, in the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And this series, this is not uh, an exposition or an exegesis per se on, on the whole book of Ephesians. But what we are going to do is look at a particular verse in Ephesians. And it really is the uh, sort of axle I like to call it, of the point that Paul was really trying to get across in this book of Ephesians. And uh, I really believe that this was, for those of you who are uh, maybe college students or have been to college, this is his thesis, uh, really here in four, chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, if, so if you have your Bibles and you're there with me, I'm going to first read this before we put it up. I'm going to read this out of the New King James Version of the Bible, and then we'll move forward. Amen. If you have it, say, I have it. All right. Some people have it. Good. Some people have it. Some people don't. Kind of like those candy bars. <laughs> Somebody remembers that old commercial. All right. Praise God. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16 says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love for the edifying of itself in love listen to what the darby translation says about that ephesians 4:16 and the darby translation if you could uh, put that up it says this says from whom the whole body fitted together fitted together and what connected by how many joints every joint of supply according to the working in its measure of each one part works for itself the increase of the body to itself building up in love. So if the body is going to increase, just a couple of joints need to supply. No, this says every joint needs to supply in order for the body to increase. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. I really believe in the book of Ephesians that Paul was really trying to get this point across that we have to work, not only work together, but we have to work together intimately. Amen. And so Ephesians is one of Paul's prison epistles. Uh, I believe he wrote uh, the book of Colossians. He wrote uh, Ephesians. He wrote uh, Philemon and Thessalonians, uh, or Philippians rather, all from, from prison. So this is one of his prison epistles. And, uh, you know, he's, he's really trying to get a point across here. So God was really speaking to Paul. He had him in a solitary place. There were no distractions when he was trying to get this across. And so I really believe that this is an important point, amen, that Paul is trying to make, not only to the church, but to us, Life Church, amen. So I hope we hear what God is saying this morning with our spiritual ear, amen. Lord, we just come before you right now in Jesus' name, and I pray, Lord, that you would anoint our ears to hear what you would want to share with us. Till the ground of our heart, O oh God, let it be soft and fertile ground that when you plant your seed this morning that it will bring forth fruit in our lives in jesus name amen 
Amen. When you think about congregations and people coming to church, when people come to church, whether it be this church, Life Church, or another local church, usually what I have observed over the years is you find three circles of people. You find that outer circle of people, those would be those who are visiting, maybe they're searching and they're coming here to to visit your church to see what you're all about and to to see what you do here and what kind of people are here and what kind of music do you have and uh, do you do, you know, announcements and uh, what, what do you do and how does the preacher preach and uh, all of those type of things. I'm just, I just come to, to check out the church to see if it's uh, for me. That's what I call the outer circle. You know, some, if, if anyone's visiting today, maybe um, for the first time you just didn't raise your hand, maybe you uh, look around and you, uh, and you notice and you say, hey, well, uh, you know, they do this and they do that, or they have a video screen and they have this type of band. And, you know, that, you're just observing things. That's the outer circle. And then you have what I call the attenders, those who attend church. Now, these are those who uh, maybe come every Sunday, maybe they come two Sundays a month or one Sunday a month, uh, but they do attend as often as, in their minds, they can. And uh, they do contribute uh, with their physical body being uh, in service. And uh, they may even volunteer. Maybe they volunteer every once in a while for uh, something uh, that's going on in the church. And uh, they participate. These are attenders. Maybe they give. And, but if you ask these people, do you have an intimate friend at the church they may say, well, I, I know some people at the church. You know, I know this person and that person. I know that person's name. But they don't necessarily have an intimate friend at the church. You know, all of their best friends are outside of the church. And that, that's okay. I'm just I'm making an observation. I'm not saying anything's right or wrong, but it's an observation. And so attenders don't necessarily have maybe intimate friends in the church, but they do attend church, and, and they're faithful. Then you have what I call the core member, what you might call the core membership, you know, the real core. And these are those who, well, they step over the line a little bit. They go a little bit further. They get involved in helping to carry out the vision of the church. They're concerned about what's going on in the church and uh, maybe they take a membership class to find out what, what do you believe. I want to I know more. I want to know what you, what's your doctrine. What do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? I'll say something on that. I, I would hate to go a year, two years, three years in the church, and no one ever asked me what my doctrine is about a certain thing or what do you believe about something. I don't take offense to that. I think that that's a good thing. Uh, because I believe that we want to know, right? We, we need to press in, and we need to... God is unsearchable, but he is certainly available. And he says, seek my face while I may be found. And if we really want to see the vision go forward, then we have to, you know, sometimes take some ownership. And I'm talking about in all local churches. I'm not, you know, um, you know pointing us out, per se, but uh, if it's you, then that's good, too. But in all local churches, we need to really put our hands into the inner circle, grab hold of the reins and say, hey, I'm part of this thing too. I'd like to see it grow. At my secular job at AT&T, I'm an, what, what's called an outside plant engineer. And so 
what, I, what I've done there is I draw up plans when there's a new, say, subdivision going in or like when the Super Bowl was here, I had to draw up plans to place all of this fiber optic cable all around Indianapolis and do all of these things. And uh, I, So I draw up all this stuff and then I hand it off to a drafter. And then that person puts it in the computer and makes it all pretty, you know, and makes uh, prints, blueprints out of what I drew up in my plan, what was in my head. And then they give that to our construction forces, right? And they go out and they make it happen. They take the plans that you gave them and they may say, okay, yeah, I know what he wanted to do here, but, you know, really in the field we need to do this. And, you know, but, and they make it happen. They, they make it come to life. One of the things that I like to do is after I've drawn up uh, some plans, our drafter has drafted it and we've issued it to uh, our construction forces and they've gone out and they've done all of this work. I like to then, uh, whether it's months later or the next year, drive by and look at what once was just in my head. And now all of a sudden, I see it there. I see all these houses in the subdivision and I see all this fiber optic cable and people ordering phone service and all of these type of things. Or if, if it's a cell tower and they're, you know, people using their cell phones and it's, part of it is because I drew up some plans that they could do that, you know. And uh, it's just kind of satisfying to see something that you were part and I was just a small part of it. People had to make it happen. But it's satisfying to be part of something and see it come to fruition. Amen. And then to know, hey, I was part of that thing. I had my hand, and I was a, a co-laborer. We worked together, and we saw that thing come together. I remember a few years ago, we had a Christmas play here, uh, and he shall be called. And I, and I remember um, a lot of people did a lot of work uh, on that Christmas play. I mean, I just can't name everybody. I remember, you know, uh, Elder Jay remembers, you know, we talked about the set and all that, and he had this idea for the set. You know, it's right here on this stage. Well, all you see now is just a stage with a few things on it. But I'm telling you, by the time everything was built and transformed, it looked like Carnegie Hall up here. I mean, it really did. It, it looked like a whole nother place up here. And it was so satisfying to see what was once an idea come to fruition. So it is with the body of Christ. God did not just plant us here in this church, in your family, or on this earth to simply just exist to watch football and go shopping and, you know, retire and then go on to glory. That's not what we're here for. We're here to accomplish a purpose. And that purpose mainly comes through the local church because you are the church. You are the church. And so what Paul is trying to get across to us this morning is that he wants us to reach in and grab hold of the horns. Come on and be part of the thing. I believe that Connecting is very important to uh, Pastor Phil and I and the leadership of this church and hopefully to everyone here who's a part and a member of this church. Because if you're part of this congregation, then guess what? We just read it in Ephesians. You are a supplier. The Bible says you are a supplier. Not even you didn't even declare yourself a supplier. The Bible just says if you're a part of the church, then you're a joint that has to supply. You have to supply. We were never meant to attend church. Come on. You are the church. You are meant to be the church. Not to just attend church. Come on. Not just to attend church. We are the church. We are Christ's body. Come on. He's the head. We are the body. Joined together 
by means of every supporting ligament. The goal of the Holy Spirit is to have all parts in their proper position and in mutual relation, compacted together. You are a vital part in the health and growth of this congregation, in case you didn't realize that. This congregation, this local church needs you to grow. It really does. It needs you to grow. We are a community. Come on now. We are a community. You know, people search for significance. And it's, it's interesting to me how people do so many things to make sure that they have a legacy and, and search for significance in their life so that when they die, people will look back and, and, and know that they accomplished some things. But you know something that I've noticed? Significance is not about all of the letters behind your name if you're in education. That doesn't really make you significant. It makes you seem significant or important, but it doesn't really make you significant. It does not happen at your job. Significance is not added to you at your job. Even if you become the CEO of some company, that in itself is not really what makes you significant. It's not the number on your salary or your paycheck that makes you significant. Not the letters behind your name. Come on, have you ever been to a funeral? Has anybody ever been to a funeral? You ever seen somebody get up and say, well, boy, uh, I am so glad that this guy was a doctor and he went to biology class because his biology really blessed me. And the things that he knew about amoeba, amoebas, and all of those things, I mean, it just really, that just really blessed me. You know, and he made $65,000 a year. Boy, what a great guy. That just made him great. Never heard anybody say that. No, it's the people that talk about the person that makes them significant. How, what that person meant to them in their life. Maybe something they said to them. Maybe some encouragement they gave them. Maybe some times that they shared together. That's what made that person significant. Because there have been people with large salaries and lots of letters behind their name and they pass on and four or five people come to their funeral. Because their significance was, wrapped, significance was wrapped up into outside things, not who they really were. Don't let a salary or your degrees make you significant. No one cares about how much insurance you sold in 1997. No one's going to remember that. But they're going to remember how you encouraged them. How you called them up late at night when you had a problem. And they listened to your problem, even though they were tired and sleepy and wanted to go to bed, had to get up and go to work. But they listened to your problem. You'll remember that. When they came and visited you, that's what you'll remember when you were in need, the times that you had together, when you went golfing or bowling or whatever it was, when you had dinner together and you just laughed. They'll remember mistakes that you've made and how you laughed together about it. This is what makes you significant. It's about relationship is what Paul is trying to tell us. It's about us being connected together. No man, no one is an island. See, we are a community. What is a biblical community? Well, here's my biblical community defined. It's the intentional development. Come on, intentional development. Doesn't happen by osmosis. It's the intentional development of meaningful, long-lasting relationships based on common biblical principles and purposes, resulting in each person having a sense of belonging, acceptance, and significance. It's about us 
working together, no matter what you do. If you're the pastor, if you're an elder, if you're an usher, if you're a children's worker, whatever you are in the church, it's about us all working, grabbing hands, working together, and seeing the purpose of God come to pass together. It takes all of us to do that. We, saints, are a community. We need to work together. Come on, we have to be a part of it. We can't just sit on the sidelines. I heard a tape uh, years ago of a guy who was a motivational speaker. And uh, I really didn't listen to a lot of motivational speakers, but a friend of mine was playing this tape one time, and uh, I just happened to pick up one part of something that this guy said, and it really stuck with me. He said, you can't win if you're not in the game. You cannot win if you're not in the game. And that really stuck with me because I related it to life. I thought you can never advance, you can never be satisfied, you can never fulfill your purpose. Come on, unless you're in it. You have to be in it to win it. Now I know if some of you are like me, you may wear your heart on your sleeve sometimes. And sometimes it's a little difficult because we get uh, embarrassed sometimes when things don't go our way or if we fail or, you know, other people judge us or talk about us and all of those things. But this is where we have to get our identification right. You are identify your identification is in what? Christ. Remember I told this story about being in the boxing ring with Mike Tyson, you know, and all the judges say, you lost if I survived one round. And then, but God said, no, this man won. Whose report are you going to believe? We've sang that song for years. But do we really believe it? Whose report are you going to believe? You are significant because God says you are significant. You are an overcomer. Come on. Because God says you are an overcomer. You win the game because God says you won the game. Now that doesn't mean we don't have anything to do. Because remember, you can't win if you're not in the game. But the flip side of that is, Jesus said, I have already overcome the world. So the winning has already taken place. All we need to do is get in the game. Come on. He's already won. But if we're not on his side, if we're not on the train, we're still at the station. And the winners are moving on. Come on. How many want to be a winner this morning in life? Amen. We need to be a winner. But we are a community. A community is a network. Now, what is a net? A net is a fabric made of interlocking thread by knotting and twisting them together. And this is for a purpose here. Listen to this. Not interlocking thread by knotting and twisting them together at points where they cross each other. Their strength of the net depends on the number of twists or knots made. That's significant. The net must be pulled and stretched into place. See, the strength of the net depends on the number of knots that are made. So what does that mean to you and I? Well, if I only know you on Sunday, then we don't have a very strong knot, do we? You know, if I don't really know many details about your life, our knot is not that strong. You know, I mean, listen, I, I understand. I, I'm, I'm just like the next person. I have a family, job, things that I go through, uh, you know, and I, you know, if, if you, if you're a person that says, listen, I know that you want to talk, but I don't want to hear about what you're going through. I don't want to hear about you're going through a divorce because I got a sister that was divorced. Uh, my cousin is on the brink of divorce and hey, my marriage isn't all that great either. So I don't have time to listen to you. Come on. We all have problems, don't we? 
But if we're going to be a strong community, we have to be able to be intimate, open our hearts, and be able to share with each other. My wife is always on me about putting on airs and, you know, saying, and Jody as well, about putting on airs and, and talking about, hey, everything's great when you know everything is not great. This should be a place that we could come to. Pastor's been on me about that before when I was over the music ministry. I would, see, I would always try to keep him shielded from everything. You know, stuff would be going on, and he'd say, how's things going? Oh, it's great. We can see everything is not great. I can tell by that song you guys just did that everything is not great. (laughs) So you're not fooling anybody. (laughs) And this should be a place that we could come to and share with each other and not be judged wrongly, condemned is what I mean. We should be able to come to this place, open our heart, share what we've been through, and no one points a finger at us. Instead, they lift us up. Come on. Come on. It says, those of you that are more spiritual, what? Lift up those that are less. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We are a community, saints. Here are some things that a community is, some words that a community is. A community is, number one, safety. It's fellowship. Look at these words. Encouragement. Increased faith. New friends. Community. Immediate pastoral care, interconnectedness. A community should be life-changing. And I like this one. It really is necessary. And a community should be fun. Come on. We should work together, and it should be fun. But what we've experienced, especially in this country, I believe, over the last maybe 50 years, is an epidemic really is. It's an epidemic of loneliness. This man, Robert Putnam, wrote a book called Bowling Alone. And what he did was he really just took a bunch of statistics uh, and he he did some polls, you know, and he polled people and he put all all these statistics together. And so when he put these statistics together, he didn't want to put out a book that said, look at all these amazing statistics because nobody's going to buy that. But what he did was he related it to bowling you know, a a pastime in America. And he found out that people really anymore bowl alone. Really, when I was growing up, my mom was in a bowling league. And I remember going to bowling night with her and, you know, her team would have on their uh, orange shirts, you know, and it would say uh, Joe's Car Place on the back. And then the team she was playing against, they had on their red shirts and they had another sponsor and they were laughing and joking and high-fiving and the whole thing. And it was just a community thing. And I said, man, these old people sure are having fun. Of course, she was in her 30s at the time, but I said, these old people know how to have fun, boy. <laughs> but more and more, you don't, you don't see that. This, this guy went to a bunch of bowling alleys across the country. And amazingly, you know what he found? People were bowling alone. It's true. He didn't see all the shirts with Joe's Crab Shack on the back. He just saw one person. And they got through their game. You see, you can get through your game quicker. You can get right through it, right? Next up, keep on going. Get right through it. But guess what? Do we really want to go through life that way? I talked to some of my friends at work. And you know how it is at work. Come on, all of us know. You know, you're, you're at work. I mean, listen, tomorrow's Monday. And I'm thinking, man, Monday. 
really is when is Friday getting here? You know, I'm just want to skip right over hump day. We need another weekend, you know. And, uh, you know, we talk at work a lot about, hey, uh, you know, it's lunchtime. Okay, well, it's time to go. Oh, Wednesday's coming. Oh, now it's Friday. Thank God it's Friday. And something occurred to me some years ago. I thought, you know, when I'm doing that, I'm really wishing my life away. I'm wishing for every Friday. And then so the Lord just spoke to me and said, listen, enjoy every day. I know if you had your druthers, you'd be, you know, at Cozumel on the beach, you know, and not at work dealing with these customers who want phone service. But I put you there for a purpose. And so enjoy where you are every day. If you don't like it, make it better. Bring love into the place. I had a friend in the army, and he always laughed and always smiled. And I asked him, I said, Reggie, how come every time you come into a room, you're always laughing and smiling? You know, we just got smoked out here. We had to do all these push-ups and sit-ups and do all these runs, and here you are. He said, listen, I don't bring nothing but love when I come into the room. And that stuck with me, too. That's what we ought to do as Christians. When we come in, we ought to bring nothing but love into the room. Come on, that's what we should do. You don't like it? Change it. You change your circumstances. You change the atmosphere of where you are. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Another thing that we found, uh, you know, in addition to bowling is we've, we've really created, I know, Jody, I know you will, you'll like this, uh, we've created a society that really doesn't need other people. And when you need other people, we just have a quick way of getting to them. We can just text real quick. You know, just get back to me real fast. No, I don't want to talk to you. Don't call me on the phone. Just text. I got other stuff to do. You know, I got, some st- I got stuff I need to do. And uh, we have a campaign, you know, at AT&T, uh, it can wait. You know, I see, I see people all the time. That, be quiet, Dee don't say nothing. I see people all the time driving and texting. Come on. Driving. I, I drive down the street. Somebody's driving real slow. I say, what are they doing? The light is green and they're driving. And I pull up next to them. I said, man, <laughs> texting. They can't wait for them. Gaming. Boy, I tell you what, come on, I don't know, you, a lot of you guys don't know, but I, sh- I know about the Xbox. Man, my son, if, I mean, if he could play Xbox 24 hours a day and get no sleep, he probably would. I mean, really. The last statistic I saw in 2005, the gaming industry was a $29 billion industry. And that was, what, eight years ago. So I can't imagine what it is today with Xbox and all that. You don't even have to talk to your friends anymore. Just play them in, in the combat game. You can talk to them through the Xbox. You don't have to call them on the phone or go over. You don't have to get together to play. You play on the internet. Come on, we really created a society where we just do things by ourselves. That other person might as well be a virtual person. Just virtual. Well, this is not what God wants for us. He wants us to be a community. So I have six things here how we can be a community, uh, how, that are community connectors, and how we can do this. How can we do this? These are community connecting attitudes. Let me read you some scriptures first before I give you these things. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. You're right there in Ephesians. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness. Now listen to this word, saints. This is what we have to have if we're going to work together. Long-suffering. Don't that, don't, you know, that word doesn't even sound right, does it? It's kind of like obey, obey. <laughs> Long suffering. <laughs> yeah. 
But it's in there. You or I didn't write it. It's in the Bible. We have to have, come on now. How many have some long suffering? Don't name any names, but you know, long suffering. All right. Long suffering, bearing with one another, not just putting up, but bearing with one another in love. I know some people have bared with me. Come on. (laughs) Bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit of the bond and peace. When I was a teenager, I was in a band. Now, we did R&B and pop music and that type of thing before I was, and I was a Christian at the time, actually. Uh, Michael Morgan remembers it. He's the one who got me right, you know, said, come on over here to the Christian band. It's all right what you're doing, but, you know. So he straightened me out there, and that's not the only time he's done it. It's something about a rooster, but we won't talk about that right now. It's an inside thing. But uh, I, was in a, I was in this band, and uh, the leader of the band, his name was Arvell. You ever heard a name like that? Arvell. I hadn't either, so I called him Junior. Uh, so I, people should, you can't be in a band and be called Arvell. Who's, you know, it was Arvell and the Shylight, you know, that doesn't... So I just called him Junior, but he, but he had an interesting concept, and it was that the band is more important than the individual. And we were teenagers when he said this. You know, he always had us think more about the band than we did about ourselves. So in other words, I know that you really can play guitar, and I know that you can do a solo, but listen, it's more important that we sound good together, all right? Come on, Christians. Come on, Life Church. I know some of you have some great gifts that we should be using. It's more important that we sound good together, right? Because, listen, what is the scripture? Your gift will make room for you? Oh, trust me, it'll come out. If you have the gift of of the prophetic, there will be a time and a place where it will be used. It will be. But it's important that we're together and that we move forward. Colossians 1.10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then listen to Philippians 1.27. It says, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Important. Live in such a way that you are a credit. What is the opposite of that? Saying don't live in such a way that you are a discredit to the body of Christ. And so here they are. Here are the six things. Number one, put others first. Sounds like such a simple concept, doesn't it? Put others first. Sounds so simple. Lowliness of mind is the opposite of pride, selfishness, and conceit which disrupts church, it disrupts church life, and it destroys unity. It destroys unity. We want to put others above ourselves. Andrew Murray said, Humility is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. To still be at rest, to put others first. I'm talking a lot about this morning about my job and I had something happen recently um, where I won't give I won't give names but where we had a, a company relocate actually from Bloomington to Indianapolis and uh, I was the engineer in charge of uh, getting their facilities together for their for their uh, main building there and so since February, I've been going out meeting with the contractors, saying we're going to bring the fiber optic cable in this way. This is what you need to do. You need a, you know, a backboard for us to set our terminal and you know, all these type of things. And you know, we, we had a lot of meetings over the summer. We're working together, doing all these things, right? And so, we are, so I drew my job. Remember I talked about that? Gave it to the drafter. 
construction. They went out and they did their work. But when they went to do the final piece of the work, the customer wasn't ready. They didn't have their room ready for us to actually put our stuff in. All right, and so they weren't ready. So we went out, sent out somebody, a technician to go install the service. He couldn't because they weren't ready. So I got a call from our construction scheduler, said, Mike, you told me this thing was ready. I'm sending out people to do this, and they're not ready. I said, okay, sorry about that, Bob. I called up the customer, said, hey, you guys weren't ready. Oh, we'll get ready. We need this service. It's important. We got to have it because we're moving in. I said, okay, well, you're not ready. So next, thing, next day, we sent out somebody. He said, we'll be ready tomorrow. Sent out a guy the next day. They weren't ready. So here I'm hearing it from my construction scheduler. Listen, I got guys, their time is important. We got other people, you know, I got to pay these guys, you know, 30 bucks an hour. I know, I know, believe me. I want them to be ready. They're telling me they're ready. So finally goes out a few days later, they're not ready. So the guy calls me, I said, stay right there. Do not move from that location. I called the customer, I coordinate all this stuff. He says, okay, I'm bringing some materials over. We're going to get the room ready. Uh, I said, well, listen, my guy's there waiting. He's not going to leave. So they do it and get it ready. Well, it missed the deadline of when they needed their service in. So what happened was, next thing I know, my boss calls me and said, hey, I got an email I need to share with you. So he sends me this email. The IT person of this company, looking at Mike because he's an IT person, an IT person at this company wrote, now I, you, you probably can't uh, get the, maybe the heaviness of, of this. He wrote an email to the CEO of AT&T. Now, what I want to tell you is AT&T in 2009, the first quarter of 2009, they profited $9 billion. If that tells you anything about how big this company is, you just see the, don't, 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 you see the commercial, you know, AT&T, oh, it's just AT&T. But this is a multi, multi, multi billion dollar company. This CEO's bonus is $29 million a year. That's not his salary. That's his bonus. Okay? That's his, uh, his award. <laughs> okay? So this is huge. So he writes a letter to this guy and says, Look, you guys didn't get my service in on time. And it's because of this engineer, Mike Carter. He writes to Randall Stevenson. Now, thankfully, Randall Stevenson doesn't get these kind of emails, even if you write to him. Somebody else intercepts all this stuff. He, he's, you know, he's not going to see this email, right? Only email he's going to see is if his wife says, bring home some bread and some milk. And <laughs> that one will get to him. He'll see that email. But, you know, these type of emails, he has people that deal with this. And so I had to deal with this. And so, uh, you know, Mike Carter, here's my name on this email to this guy who makes $29 million in one check. And so, immediately, I said, oh, man, I'm emailing this guy back and say, oh, after all that, this I did, you know. And, uh, but, you know, the Lord spoke to me, as he does in those times, <laughs> and said, lowliness of mind, humility, and long-suffering. <laughs> and I said, okay, Lord. Well, thankfully, my boss, you know, he, he knew the situation, and so he, you know, uh, he defended me. But, I mean, there, were some, there was a lot of words used, like unfriendly, unprofessional. And I never met this guy. I said, I don't even know who this guy is. I never met with him. But, you know, God in us allows us by the Holy Spirit not to walk in the flesh. Because what kind of Christian would I have been, if, trust me, if I would have said some of the things that I wanted to say, in an email back to him. 
How, what would that have shown? What would that have shown about life church? Come on, saints. You didn't have anything to do with it. But guess what? It would have reflected on our church. You ever think about that? When you do things, when you say some things out in the grocery store to some other people and they know you go to life church, right? Come on, it reflects not just on you, but it reflects on your church. I was telling my, my oldest daughter, she wanted, to, uh, she wanted to do something. I don't even know if I told you about this a couple years ago. She wanted to uh, either get an apartment or something. She wanted me to co-sign. So, of course, I had a long conversation with her. You know, and I, I, I tapped into uh, what I like to call Glenn Collins mode. Now, Glenn Collins was my father-in-law, Dietrich's dad. So he, this man could talk. I mean, he could. He was a great father, and uh, he'd sit you down and let you know. You're, you're not getting anything by. You're not going to text him. You know, he, no, no, no. Come on in. Let's sit down. I remember when I wanted to marry Dietra. You know, I just wanted to get it in real quick. I like to marry daughter. Thank you very much. Okay, all right. No, come on in here. Come on in. Let's go talk. So we had a conversation. So I sat her down and I, I, I told her, I said, Sneakwood, listen, uh, I'm not going to do this right now. And here's why. And I told her why. And I also told her that here's the thing. What you have to think about is you're affecting other people besides yourself. Because if you should renege, and I'm not saying you are, but I know that you're 21, okay? Should you renege on this thing, it's not just going to be bad on your credit. But it's going to be bad on my credit because I am a co-signer. Then you have to think about I'm a provider in the family. So if my credit is bad, my family's credit is bad, right? It affects everybody in my whole family. So you're affecting more people than just yourself. And I think we need to think about that as we represent Christ and we represent the church. You're affecting more people than just yourself. And so we have to remember, put others first. Number two. Be gracious in all things. Be gracious in all things. In the Greek, this means gentleness of spirit. It's the opposite of self-assertion. <laughs> it's the opposite of rudeness. Come on, saints. Come on, some Christians can be rude. I'm not calling any names. I didn't say nothing about anyone in here, but I'm just telling you I know for a fact just because you're a Christian doesn't uh, mean you don't have the rude gene. <laughs> Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? Christians can be rude. And it's the opposite, actually, also of harshness. I mean, there's a way to correct without being harsh. There really is. And correct in a godly way. It suggests this. It suggests having one's emotions under control. Come on, saints. Number three, big one. Not easily offended. Not easily offended. Come on, a lot of us wear our heart on our sleeve, right? And it, and it is easy to get offended. Now, this is kind of a tough one sometimes because it's easy to get offended. You know, I mean, if listen, if I'm out somewhere and I hear someone say something bad about Life Church, and may, maybe it didn't have anything to do with me, but they just, whatever it was, they said something bad about it. You know, I take it personal because I'm in leadership at the church. I'm a leader in the church, and so then it hurts me. And I immediately want to defend the church. But it's difficult for us sometimes to not be easily offended. People will criticize. People will, that's one thing I can guarantee. You know, they say two things that are for sure, death and taxes. I say there's three things, death, taxes, and criticism. It's going to happen. 
If you're living on this earth, no matter how nice you are, at some point you will be criticized. And so we're going to have to overcome being so easily offended. Long-suffering is a state of emotional quietness and self-restraint. Restrain yourself. And this is what we could, where we could ask that question, what would Jesus do? More, more so, we could ask the question, what did Jesus do? Because he gave us an example. 1 Peter chapter 2 says he lived as an example for us. And the King James says an ensample, meaning there was, he gave us a sample of what life should be like. Gave, he was an example for us. It is self-restraint which has the ability to retaliate to a wrong, but chooses not to. Come on. As it is not easily provoked and blazes up in anger. Psalm 124 verse 7 says this, Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped from this thing. Don't be snared by offenses is what he's saying. It snares you. Right? You know what unforgiveness does. Come on, it snares you. Don't be easily offended. Here are some signs of offenses. Strained relationships. You got a strained relationship with anybody in your family, in the church, come on, right, on your job? Maybe there's some offenses there. What about drifting away from church? You find yourself not going as much. Could be an offense there. What about the river of the Holy Spirit sort of dries up? You don't feel as spiritual. You know, I just don't feel close, doesn't feel like the Lord is speaking to me. Are there any offenses that are in your life? Bitterness spreads in your life. In other words, blame and resentment. You find yourself blaming others all the time, right? Easily offended. We don't want to be easily offended. This next one goes right along with that. Patience. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Forbearing is to hold up, to sustain, to bear with. Be patient with while enduring difficulties to put up with, to exercise self-restraint and tolerance. Now, this is not the same tolerance that the world talks about. I'm not talking about tolerating sin, but I'm talking about tolerating each other. <laughs> Come on, putting up with each other. You see, we bear with one another through the grace that comes when we realize how great God's forbearance is for us. Jesus told a very poignant and uh, impactful uh, parable about the man who, uh, who the, the, the other gentleman owed him so much money, right? And the king forgave him of those things and then he turned around and went out. Someone owed him a few pennies and he had that man thrown in jail. Come on. What kind of Christian is that? Remember what God did for you and does for you. We bear with one another through the grace of God. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, of his forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? You want somebody to say they're sorry to you? Display the goodness of God to them heaping coals upon their head. Come on. 
<laughs> Colossians 3, 12 to 14 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, come on, that's you, that's you this morning, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, and meekness. This, now, nowhere in here does it say weakness. It doesn't say weakness. But meekness. Here's this word again, long-suffering. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you. Now that, and that's the pivotal part of that whole scripture. It doesn't say uh, just forgive them. It says even as Christ forgave you, even so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And so number five comes right behind that forgiving spirit. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. Listen, keep the unity of the spirit. God has made us one. So now we must put out all our effort to guard and keep that unity. Listen, it takes work. The enemy will come in and try to break up the unity that God has placed within us. And it takes work for us to keep that unity. And every time we are offended or we offend another and we turn our back on each other and we don't forgive and we're not long-suffering, we're allowing the enemy to win. We're allowing the enemy to come in and put a wedge between us. The enemy gets the upper hand when that happens because God has knit us together like a net. He has bonded us together. Iron sharpens iron. Come on. He's put us together. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. That doesn't just apply to marriages. That applies to all of us. Come on. Jesus being the main cord, it's not easily broken. It can be if we allow it to be. But we have to have a forgiving spirit. Here's what we have to do. We have to determine to resolve any offenses scripturally. Extending forgiveness. Why? Because you have been forgiven by God. Forgiven. God has blotted out the record of your sin and released you from sin's prison. Can you do the same? That's the question. Can you do the same? Can you release someone else when you need to forgive them? Can you do it? Forgiveness is a gift from God that allows me then to become a forgiver. And number six, unity of the spirit builds community. We need to have a unity. This is where it it all comes together. We have to be on one accord. We have to be in unity. We have to. Acts chapter 2 Verse 46 says this, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as those who were being saved. The Lord added to the church daily. I've often wondered, listen, we talked about this this morning. You know, it's often said that, you know, growth in the church is not just about the numbers. And I I agree with that. That is true. We need to grow. In fact, 
uh, our vision, you know, going forward is really is discipleship. I mean, Pastor Phil has really put that in us, and we're going to continue that thing uh, with discipleship, growth unto full stature, on unto perfection. That's really what God wants us to do. That's the vision of this house. And so we need to grow as people. It is true. But listen, growth is also in people because there are still, still unsaved folk out there. There are people who have turned their back on church. There are people who have been offended that need to be in here. And I believe that these seats will be filled. I, I, I speak that, and I believe it. Not just to say we have a bunch of people, but because they belong here in the house, worshiping together. But listen, I've often thought, well, how do we do that? Do we need to do a campaign? Do we need to go on the radio? Do we need to put some flyers out on campus? Do we need to do all that? And all I have to do is turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. It says what? Be in one accord with each other, breaking bread with each other, eating our food with simplicity of heart and gladness, praising God with each other, having favor with all people, being in unity on one accord, forgiving one another, being in unity and being on one accord, forgiving one another. Then it says, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. God will do the work. We can plant and we can water, but it is what? God that gives the increase. God gives the increase. And this should be a place of relating, a place to build biblically. Come on. Purpose-driven, God-centered relationships. That's what this place is. It's a place of caring, a place to receive acceptance and admonition without offense. It's a place of belonging, care and support, place of growing, a place to grow spiritually, spiritual health, maturity, ministry involvement, a place of reaching, a place to bring others and get them involved in community, get them connected. Get them connected. It's what we need to do. Listen, I just want to tell you this. I could, we could go on and on with this connecting in Ephesians 4.16. But I want to tell you this. I, want to, I would just want to give you this word. Take with you today. Hospitality. The word, Hospitality. If you haven't invited someone from this congregation over to your house recently, invite somebody over. Take someone out to dinner. Me and a couple brothers went golfing yesterday. Well, golfing's probably a strong word, but we went out and swung at stuff. They did pretty good, but, uh, but we had a good time. We weren't very good. I wasn't very good. I can't speak for the other brothers. But we had a great time together of just fellowship, you know, and being together, go bowling with somebody. You don't have to put on the league shirt, you know. Go to a movie. Hospitality. We try to do things here with the agape feast and all of that. But listen, we all have to take ownership of this thing. We all have to work together. And listen, we need to become closer. And I'm done, but I just want to say this. We need to be intimate. Come on, we need to be somewhat intimate with each other. We need to be able to share what we're going through. Because if not in the church, saints, then where? Where? Were you going to go to a counselor downtown Bloomington? Tell them all your problems? 
They're going to tell you something out of a book. I don't have anything against it. I know if anybody's a counselor, um, you know, secular counselor and that type of thing, listen, great. If you help people, that's wonderful. But I'm here to tell you that this is what you need. You need a Christian counselor who bases their stuff on this. Come on. God can help you. If not in the church, where? Let's be hospitable with one another. Let's grow together, saints. Let's join hands.